On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, hey, they've always got the good oil, pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. Yeah, welcome back to Sky Sports Radio and a big thanks uh, as well to Mick Gearin with our previous program there on the pace and a wonderful chat with Steve Turnbull uh, in relation to his father passing away last night and uh, all our thoughts at Sky Sports Radio with the Turnbull family. Uh, Monday's experts today, well last week we had Lizzie Jelfs, uh, the previous week we uh, spoke with Darren Flindell, uh, Tony Brassel kick-started things and I thought well while the iron is hot while we had Luke Marlow in the chair last week covering for myself while I was away, it'd be great to get Luke on. Uh, and we regularly hear Luke Marlow calling races. And there's always a bit of a story, though, about the journey in which our presenters and tipsters and experts, etc., uh, get to where they are. Now, he joins me on the phone. Good morning, Luke. Yeah, good morning, Dave. Good morning, everyone. The only thing I'd probably preface with is um, the term expert probably doesn't uh, sit that well with me. I think I'm 27 now. I've got another 27 years before I'm getting anywhere close to that. So uh, either way, uh, good to be joining you this morning. Are you nervous at all? Because you know that uh, we chat nearly every day, even when we're not on radio, and we have some pretty interesting conversations. Uh, and you know what I'm like. Are you are you comfortable? With your, have you got a cup of tea sorted? How's the heart rate? Uh, gee, I might need something stronger the way uh, you're, you're uh, prefacing it, Dave, and a cup of tea. But, uh, yeah, mate, um, not very relaxed. Uh, been to the gym this morning, been up since 4.30 watching the golf. So um already had a bit of an adrenaline rush, adrenaline rush this morning with uh, Phil winning that. Okay. All right, let's start. Uh, where did you grow up? What town? Yes, yeah, so I grew up in western Queensland or central Queensland, a place called Thangool. Uh, last time they did the census, there only seven hundred and twenty odd people in the joint. So, from a very small country town, uh, grew up on seven hundred acres. Uh, Mum and dad had cattle, and dad trained a few horses uh, just as a hobbyist. Uh, he also worked in the mines in that region. And then we moved to Rockhampton uh, a little bit later in life. I think I was age fourteen then, and uh, spent the next period of my life there. And so I came to Sydney. Okay, so you're a boy in Thangool. The old band's got some horses. Country very much at heart. How does one end up wanting to be a race caller? What's the what's the story there? Well, I think I stumbled into it, Dave, because obviously I always had that real interest in racing through my father. Um, just love being around the the horses, and it's a common common thing that I guess people would say that they they love the animal, and that was certainly the case for me. Um, when I was in year 10 at school, about age 13, 14, um, I got quite sick and uh, I missed a, a whole year of school. I was sitting at home and didn't have much on. So it was the races. So I was watching them on the television and one day I just had this idea to try and uh, call them off the TV for something to pass the time and started doing that with moderate success at first. And uh, that led to me, uh, once I was feeling a little bit stronger and feeling a bit uh, better in myself that uh, I actually went out to the track there at Rockhampton and started calling a few races from the grandstand and things snowballed from there. A year off school is a long time. Can I ask what, what you were, um, what was wrong? Yeah, I was, I was diagnosed with a, a kidney disease. It was, it was another illness before that and 
that illness, um, I won't give the scientific name, it's too long, but uh, 2% of people who get that can progress to um, to a kidney disease called nephrotic syndrome. So, I mean, you, you never think you're going, going to be in that minority, and, and I was. So uh, it was a bit of bad luck, uh, I guess, but, you know, it... Um, it it was one of those things that I had to overcome and being a, a, at a young age, it was pretty difficult for myself uh, and for my family, but it's just funny. Um, I don't think I would have gone down the calling path that early had it not been for that. So to put a positive spin on it, that was one positive that, that came out of a pretty tough time in my life. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um what was it about the calling? So you, you, you're obviously crook at home, and was it just out of uh, boredom that you just sort of, you know, you were sitting there and you just sort of go, right, well, I'm going to start calling it? Or was there a, a – had you thought about, you know, announcing or broadcasting in any way or it just yeah, happened? Not, well, I guess it, it – yeah, it did just happen. Um, my father used to read the racing magazine all the time, and I, I always just had this little knack, I guess you could call it, of – being able to identify the horses by name just based on, uh, you know, the colours. Uh, and that's what you hear a lot of race callers talk about, that it's the colour of the, the jockey silks that they recognise which horse, uh, the cap. But I don't know. I just I always found that I had that, uh, that in me, that um, I could see a picture and uh, I could recall the horse uh, by name because I'm not a great... I'm not a great learner as far as if you gave me a textbook and asked me to read it and remember it, I, I, I'd struggle. I've always been a visual learner. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's just one one part of it. And, and once I realised I sort of had that ability, I guess the idea was floated between myself and the old man, well, you know, maybe you could give the commentary a go. And it was a bit of a pipe dream at first uh, until I realised that, uh, hey, there might be something in this. And I really was enjoying enjoying it because it was taking my my mind off other things and once I got those a uh, set of binoculars in my hand at the track for the first time and and really got the buzz of it all albeit only practicing uh, it wasn't long before I was set on it as as the path I wanted to take do you remember your first race for race I do yeah it look this was a really uh interesting one. Dad had a runner one day at a place called Yapoon, which is half an hour outside of Rockhampton towards the coast. And I went to the races with Dad just uh, for a day out. Um, loved watching this old horse run. His name was Fleet the Bongo, and he was a good open horse that Dad had. He ended up winning about 13 races. And I was at the track this day, and Tony McMahon, who was the local broadcaster in that area, he sort of caught wind that I was taking an interest. And by this time, I'd been practicing for a few months, and half an hour or so before the race, he approached me and, and asked me if I'd be keen on having a go for real. And uh, me, uh, being so keen as I was, I jumped at the chance um, to, to call Dad's horse racing. Um, so that, that was an interesting dynamic for me, because not only was it my first call, but I always got quite nervous when we had horses run, and that added a little bit of um, GST or extra to it, I guess. Anyway, he um, he won the race, and it was a it was a real buzz to to call Dad's horse winning, and obviously my first call as well. But I never ever got to hear it back because I was so caught up in the moment. I didn't think to record it. I didn't 
there was no sort of recording device on track there. Um, so I've never heard my first call back, but um, I think I got through it without slaughtering it. So uh, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, that was a great day. That was in 2008. So, okay, um, so yeah. two, 2008, and how old were you then? I was 14. I was 14. 14. Okay, 2008, 14, first call, Yapoon, old man's horse wins. Uh, how does one go from Yapoon to getting the job in Sydney? So uh, are you still at school at that time? Yeah, I was, and, and the Rockhampton Grammar School that I went to, they were quite supportive uh, of my, um, I guess, quest. And, uh, and keenness on the racing. So I actually got to go to the races as part of a work experience. So if you're oh. a young bloke out there listening, uh, there's a nice road you can pull. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of work experience to go to the track. So I'd spend two days a week um, either at the trials or at the races at Rockhampton as part of my work experience program at school. I'd go to the races, call each race into a tape recorder and just gas bag the whole time. So uh, that, was, um, that was all part of my education day. Mm. Okay, so what about um, getting the job at Sky? I know that uh, they used to have the, the John Tapp Scholarships uh, Awards that, that sort yeah. of come through. So is that was it was, there, was there a time you spent in Brisbane as well? Because I know that you, you'll often chat about Wayne Wilson, etc. when we've had discussions. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Sorry, I only answered part of your question there. Um, the, the part about Wayne, firstly, because you're right, he was a big influence on me. Wayne actually had a, um, a kidney condition as well. Um, and so when I met Wayne one day at Rockhampton and explained my situation, I, I think he took a bit of a... Shine's probably the wrong word, and sympathy definitely the wrong word, but he was keen to help me. Um, he saw that I was young and keen, and um, when I would see my specialist doctor, which coincidentally was in Brisbane at the time, I would time it so that it was on a Friday and stay overnight with mum and we'd go out to Eagle Farm or Doombin on the on the Saturday and I remember I called a Stradbroke uh, from the spare box there at Doombin when I was only a young young fellow and Wayne was a really influential mentor to me uh, he was a he was a terrific person uh, the way he helped me and, and Tony as well who uh, to this day Tony knows how grateful I am Tony McMahon because um he gave me a lot of opportunities in and around Rockhampton at the bush tracks to call when he was unavailable. And with all this experience that I built up, whether it be practising or going to the bush tracks, um, that spanned over about three or four years. And they ran the John Tapp Scholarship again in 2011. Matt Hill, Josh Fleming, Mitch Manners, um, all guys that had come through that system. And I was fortunate enough to, to be, uh, be the winner of that. And my journey in Sydney began in 2011. So the boy from Thangul makes his way to Sydney. Now, I think that's why I've resonated with you so much, mate, because I'm from Brisbane, the sleepy suburbs of Birkdale. Yeah. Managed to, you know, get through some competition. Um, and it's a big old world down here in Sydney. I mean, if, you, if you're not savvy, it can, it can eat you up and spit you out pretty quickly. How did you go moving down here, and especially two away from your family? Yeah, it was. Um, I was so excited for the for the role that um, I don't think I realised uh, what a cultural shock it'd be to my system. And boy, was it a shock! Uh, I mean, I, I'm talking. We lived out of town our whole lives, so I'd never actually um, spent any time 
in town for an extended period. So when I came to Sydney, it was a big, um, it was a big shock. And uh, gee, if you could have um, had a camera on me a few times, just <laughs> my general behaviour. Some people would just look at me and go, "What? Where are you from? What planet are you from?" Because uh, yeah, I was I was very green. I was very green at first, but that was half the fun. And uh, you know what? You, you've just got to um, you've got to adapt if you want to. Uh, make something of yourself, and I was very determined that um, I was going to make it work. And I was so focused on my job for that first sort of year, at least, that really everything else away from that um, it blended into insignificance. Really, you're calling in Sydney. You are having a whale of a time. You're meeting uh, as well some some lifelong friends. I know that uh, you. For a period there, you're living with Andrew Adkins, um, you know, around that similar age, and obviously Andy, his story coming from from out of the city into the big smoke and getting opportunities. So you're having fun, and then an opportunity presents itself in Singapore. Tell us about that. How, how did that all come about, and, and why did you get on the plane and go to Singapore? Yeah, Dave, it was a, an opportunity that I, I just felt um, I couldn't refuse, really. Um, I was just approached out of the blue from the, the Singapore Turf Club. It came about when uh, Tom Wood vacated the head broadcasting role in Singapore to go to Hong Kong, and that position became available, and uh, they asked me if I would be interested, and I went through the process uh, of thinking it over, sort of uh, confided in some good friends and family, and at first, I originally I thought, no, I don't want to leave Sydney. I love it too much here. But when I really had a, a good think about it, um, the opportunity to, to go and live in a different country and experience a different racing jurisdiction was just too big of a draw card. And I had a fabulous 18 months up there. It was cut short due to everything that happened with COVID. But, um, look, it was, it was a great experience getting to call races like the Kranji Mile and a Singapore Gold Cup. Uh, it was really exciting, and uh, I had another Australian up there with me, Dan Cobby, who was working at the, the Turf Club as well, who's a friend of both of ours, and it was just nice having that friendly face up there, familiar face too, because we are, uh, we are a little bit different, Australians, to the Asian community, and my strong accent, um, I had to really speak slower, uh, tone it back a little bit so that people could understand what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> I could only imagine... Um... What was it? What was the feeling like uh, before those group ones? You know, I, I often personally, and I've said this to you before, we do things. Uh, yeah. You know that you always have that sort of period of reflection, that little sort of flashback on life before something amazing is going to happen. I mean, you must have stood there in that wonderful grandstand at Cranji and just thought, "Wow, you know, here I am about to call this," uh, oh, and, and, yeah. and flashbacks back to your poon and back to you know sitting at home. When you're a crook, yeah, for sure, Dave. You're right. I mean, I'm not really one to look back, but and sort of, well, gee, you know, look what I've done because I'm always focused on on the next challenge. But it, it was only two weeks after I'd landed in Singapore that the first Group One meeting came up, and that was the QE2 Cup. So it was uh, very surreal, and um, it was a it was, it was a really special moment in my life just before that race, sort of standing up there. I was comfortable that I, I was um, well prepared and uh, I'd worked my whole life for an opportunity like that. So uh, although I had some nerves, 
um, it was more excitement more than anything just to to get that opportunity and uh, you know I got to call uh, quite a few group ones up there which was which was a lot of fun and uh, the crowd get right into it in Asia they really cheer from the 400 so it, it's a good atmosphere and uh, yeah look that was um, that was fabulous. What about uh, returning home? Obviously, COVID threw a spanner in the works. You returned home with your partner, Alicia. Uh, and at the time, I mean, had you got a gig with Sky or was it you know, was it on the cards of coming back or were you looking at doing something else? Well, when COVID first happened, Singapore was doing very well and we were living a normal life. And for me, I'd had, um, you know, since I'd turned 18, I'd had this great job and just been enjoying it, uh, you know, progressing along. And then when COVID got bad in, in Singapore, I'd met my partner up there at the time, uh, Alicia. And, you know, mate, thank God we had each other because um, it was really challenging for me. I'm quite a, uh, a busy person. And when we went to that month of lockdown, um, it was hard lockdown. I mean, you could only leave your house for groceries and the essentials. There was no mucking around up there. It's very strict. So we had a small apartment and uh, we were in there for a month. And um, by the time the third week rolled around, I was not, not doing that great mentally um, up there. And I sort of said to Alicia that um, we'd spoken about it in the lead up that we, we'd, we'd be heading back at the end of the year uh, to come back to Australia. And um, I decided that um, it'd be good to, to come home for a visit. Uh, to see everyone and just reset. So after the month of lockdown ended, we, we came home to Australia for a visit. And as it turned out, we, we ended up staying. Um, we didn't go back. So um, it was it was sad to attend on that term, on, on that term for me. But uh, the Singapore Turf Club were really good to me in understanding. I mean, it, no one foresaw what was coming uh, with this. And they were very good, very understanding. And, and like I said, mate, um, it was just good to... Uh, Alicia and I had each other to, to sort of support because when you don't have any family up there, although you've got friends, um, you know it was very it was challenging. You're back in Australia now, um, and you're obviously you know enjoying. Well, I hope you're enjoying what you're doing uh, here. What's the best moment you've experienced in a racetrack? Um, that's a good question, Dave. Um, Look, I think, yeah, for me, the, the ones that stand out were obviously my first call just because of the family connection with Dad training the winner and Mum was there, my grandmother. Um, that was a real family affair. So, look, it's hard to sort of look past that. I've had some great moments. Uh, definitely Singapore calling that first group one would, would be high up there. But um, even just from a, a, a punting point of view, just being at the track when those good horses race such as Winks, you know, being there to see her win a third Cox Plate, I was at the track, that that was special. Um, so, you know, it's not all work for me. I love the game. Uh, I, I like being there just as a spectator, and, and that's special as well to me. Yeah, it certainly is. If you weren't race calling, what would you be doing? Well, originally I was riding a bit of track work for Dad, and I, I was, um, until I got crook. I probably would have gone down a path of being a jockey, but I wouldn't have lasted long because I'm quite tall. So um, I would be probably doing something in 
something sport-related. Um, I've always enjoyed sports, did a bit of sports science when I was at school. Um, so I'd say something along along that line. But I've been so lucky that I've never had to think about that because it all fell into place for me uh, to go down a racing path and media path. One thing I have noticed with you, Luke, uh, is that if you get an idea in your mind, you want to be the best or you know, at least be good at ability in doing it. And what I'm where I'm going with this is I remember one day you rang me up and said, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, mate, not much, blah, blah, blah. He said, I'm going surfing. I said, yeah, what? He said, yeah, no, I'm going surfing. I've, I've just gone and bought the board and the wetsuit. And, and to your credit, you're not, uh, say, like me, where you've got all the gear and no idea. You'll actually go and get the surfboard and you will persist at something until you do it. And then, not saying it phases out, but obviously the, the cold mornings you weren't too keen on. But golf. I remember playing golf with you a few moons ago. You weren't great at it, but you enjoyed it. And you obviously, that that's a big outlet for you, uh, doing something away from racing, because it can get to you after a while. You've got a lot going on in your brain. Oh, without doubt, Dave. Golf has been something that has been you know, massive for my life. When I came, came back to Australia and I was trying to get my bears in order work-wise and I wasn't really sure what I was doing, um... You know, there's a lot of stress around that, and I find it. I mean, I sometimes just play on my own. I'll just walk around and um, be out there in, in amongst nature, and it really is a great pastime. Um, and it's been frustrating for me because I, I'm not much good, uh, for lack of better English. But it's uh, it's important, I think, for anyone's mental health to have something away from work that. Uh, that you get enjoyment out of and where you can just be uh, within our thoughts and, uh, you know, doing what we do. Your mind's very busy. Um, calling races requires a high high level of concentration and a lot of preparation. Although as my career's sort of gone on, I've worked out how to manage my time better. But sport is um, a great part of, of my life and uh, and very important. All right, uh, a couple of tough questions before we end. Um, as a youngster in racing, you, you're 27 years of age. What are you worried about in regards to our sport for the future? Um, well, I mean, it's human nature to worry about um, safety when your partner's a jockey, um, and all my best friends are jockeys, so... I think that that has been something in our sport that has improved significantly in the last decade or so with the plastic running rails, obviously the skull caps, etc. all that has been brought in. So uh, that's been fantastic. And Racing New South Wales as well have been um, impl- have implemented the Jockey Welfare Fund and the Horse Welfare Fund. And for me, I think it's number one. The welfare of uh, the participants and the animal have to be at the forefront of everyone's mind. And I think particularly in New South Wales, they've been very forward-thinking on that. So, mate, to be honest, um, that would be all I could think of. I don't have any day-to-day worries about our industry. I think it's absolutely thriving, and we're very lucky to work in racing, particularly in this state. So, aside from the, the human aspect of it, when my partner's out there in a dangerous arena, I don't really have any worries, Dave, to be honest. What about uh, your the worst beat, your sickest beat? And I'm talking about the the one that got away on the punt. Um, 
gee, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> There's been a few. Um, look, one, probably the Melbourne Cup last year. As you know, I had uh, the, fa- the heavily backed favourite in the race going for, um, for plenty. And, I mean, a sick beat, some might define that by, oh, you've got beaten nose or your horse was unlucky, but... That was sicker than anything I've ever experienced to have the horse uh, surprise baby going for a stack and into just do absolutely nothing. I mean, nothing rips your heart out like that. So, although. Jeez, it was flat. Jeez, geez, oh, it was flat. I was I was with you that uh, Melbourne Cup day and. You know, and, and and the thing is, for those out there, we're talking. You know, for a twenty-seven-year-old, life-changing, life-changing money. You're taking a few mm. little multis here and there, not for much outlay. And yeah. you've got to, you know, every time surprise baby that's coming up on the screen, it's firming and, you know, the, the beer's going down quite nice and you're going, okay, here we go, here we go, and all of a sudden pop the uh, the balloon. Exactly, mate. And, I mean, I did what I thought was the smart thing. I hedged. Um, I think I, out, I outlaid um, a decent amount to, to try and get some sort of result. But it just wasn't to be. And, uh, you know, the punt has always been a part of my life uh, and I love it. And as I'm getting older, you're learning to just cop those a little bit better. But that one, um, they don't come around too often when you, you've got them running for a big result. So it's disappointing to not get anything out of it, but uh, hopefully we can just find another one. Right. Uh, to end, where will we see Luke Marlowe uh, in... 13 years' time, when he's 40, what will you be doing? Hopefully still just running off you, Dave, because um, you're just you're just taking me with you every step of the way. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be... Mate, I might even make it to 40 yeah. after Hobart. Uh, so don't, don't put your eggs all in one basket there. Mate, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, it's nice to have a yarn to you, um, and we've had plenty of those chats like we've just had there, but... Uh, it's nice that our listeners can sort of hear a different side. Um, mate, thanks for being on Monday's Experts. Uh, that's a pleasure, Dave. And uh, I'd just like to close in saying that, you know, we are very lucky to do what we do in this industry, particularly in a media aspect where, let's be honest, um, I go to the races and talk for a living. So uh, we're very blessed to do what we do. And, uh, you know, I hope we can do it for much longer. Well said, uh, Luke Marlowe there with uh, Monday's Experts. We'll take a break. The Whip Around is coming up next, and uh, that chat, along with our other chats uh, of our experts, uh, all up on the podcast. Got a little treat for everyone next Monday. We're going to chat with Tommy Berry. Tommy Berry's going to join us for a uh, Monday's Experts chat. I know he's, Tommy's done plenty of chats before um, about various things, but I've asked him, I've said, any, everything's on the table, mate. We're going to have a a half an hour yarn, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And also going to try and chat with a few else, a few others from uh, Sky Racing. The one, the, the big one, the big fish I want to get, Andrew Martin. Worked with Marto, was lucky enough to work with Marto for a long time up in Sky Racing 1, and maybe we might try and get him doing a few of those impressions from uh, Monologue. It's, uh, it's currently 11.32.